0: Amen. Happy Father's Day. Welcome in. It's good to see everyone this morning. Take your Bibles. Turn to Exodus chapter four. Hang on, and we'll be there in about ten minutes. All right. But it's good to uh, it's good to see everybody today. Welcome in. Uh, for those of you that don't know, this whole coronavirus thing makes it a little bit difficult to plan. And so, uh, with that, we are continuing to pray about what to do and how to do it here as we return to church, as it is a gradual return, as we are planning for the future. But one thing that I can tell you is that beginning next Sunday, next Sunday, we'll go from three services to two. So that means a time change. And again, I realize we're having to stay on top of all these things, but I think everybody knows that it's a pretty fluid situation. So uh, we're going from three services to two, and we'll go to 8.30 and 10.30. 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. beginning next week. So once again, 8.30, 10.30 beginning next week. Two services, and we look forward to having you here for one of those or for both, whichever you decide. All right. So it's, uh, it's good to see you again. Exodus chapter four. Today we're going to be looking at Moses as husband and father. Moses as husband and father. Now, if you look in the scriptures, this is a, this is a man that we remember as being called of God, a man that is a, a voice for the values of God. He was an instrument of redemption for his people. He's featured in the faith hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11. But there's something else we probably have not taken note of whenever we think about the biblical Moses, which is he was a husband and a father. It's very little there in the Scripture, but it's there, and if you study it, it's very impactful and very powerful. So in Exodus chapter 4, if you're doing a character study of Moses, if you're looking throughout when he's mentioned, you, you're, you're not going to come away with husband and father being at the forefront of your takeaways for, for your, your scriptural or biblical principles today. But they're there, and there are lessons to be learned from this family characteristic. In Exodus chapter 2, the scripture teaches us that Moses escapes to Midian after an emotional breakdown of sorts that we'll look at in just a little bit. And basically, after a violent action on his part, he escapes to Midian, he builds relationships, and then he gets married. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 21 through 22, the Bible says that Moses accepted the invitation. He settled there with Ruel, the priest of Midian. In time, Reuel, Moses uh, gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. And later, she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom. For he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. So that's where we start, that Moses is a husband and father. And we're not told much more about his family... Or their involvement as he led through the, the freedom movement from the Hebrews, from Egypt to the promised land. We're not told very much about what his family did at that point. But in verse 19, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 4, Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, Return to Egypt, for all those that wanted to kill you are now dead. And then in verse 20 it says, So Moses took his wife and his sons, he put them on a donkey, and he headed back to the land of Egypt. And as he went in his hand, he carried the staff of God. Now, we're going to revisit that in just a moment. Now, that's just a very brief introduction of Moses as husband and father. But as we'll make a point later on, Moses is not the only father mentioned in this scripture passage today. Exodus chapter 4, to lay the groundwork for more points. If you look in verses 21 through 23, and stay with me, because we're going to be reading, and then we're going to be giving takeaways. But in Exodus chapter 4, verses 21-23, Through 23, this is the continued assignment from God to his service. Verse 21. And the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Verse 22. And then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Verse 23. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you refused... I will now kill your firstborn son. Now, from there to here is where it gets a little bit weird. (laughs) It gets a little bit different in what we're talking about. So keep reading and, and keep thinking as we make points in a minute, all right? Verse 24 says, On the way to Egypt, a place at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Now, take that in. He had just called him to service. He just put his family together on the way back to Egypt. And God was like, you know what? I'm about to kill you, okay? And again, I told you it was a little bit weird and just hang on because we're not done yet. Verse 25, but Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched her, his feet with the foreskin and said, now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And in verse 26, it says, when she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. And after that, the Lord left them alone. So Moses has a family, he's a husband, he's a father, and God has a bigger picture for him than just being a husband and a father. And Moses is called of God into service to serve his people and to serve God, but he almost gets fired before he even starts his job. So let, let's pray for God to give us understanding as we begin to make points on Father's Day. Lord, I just pray that you quiet my spirit, give me passion and compassion, help me to communicate clearly what you've given to me to study this week. I do pray for all fathers and sons and growing young men. We pray for older men. Pray God all of us in here today, 8 to 80, would understand that this is your truth and we're to live it out no matter how old we are. Lord, I pray for not only just the men today, but Father, I pray, Lord, for the women, the families that are here and represented today. Spirit of God, guide us into all truth. Help us, Lord, to learn about who we need to be in comparison with your holiness. We love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy through Jesus. Amen. I enjoy men's ministry. I do. I I like speaking to guys. Uh, I like pouring into guys as as I can or if I'm I'm asked to. And the reason that I enjoy that is because I know what God has done for me in my life. I know God has saved me. I I have the forgiveness and the mercy and grace of God, and I, I own that. And I'm so glad that I have it. There's nothing that I bring to the table for my own holiness. There's nothing that I bring to the table that makes me think that I'm good enough to get into heaven. I know that God has given me salvation and he's given me heaven and I'm so thankful for it. God has also given me security. He's given me confidence in who he is. And because of my confidence in who he is, I can stand up and walk tall in who I am. God has given me that over time. And God has given me a purpose for my life greater than anything that I could ever think that I could do. Uh, There are all the things, I played the games when I was a kid just like anybody else did, what I will be when I grow up. And I'm so glad that God changed the direction of my life to send me towards what I'm doing now. There's a greater purpose that God gave me. And I know that God will do all those things for every single man in this place. I know that God is able to do that for every single person in this place. If you deal with insecurities, that God can give you security. If you're dealing with forgiveness, that God would give you forgiveness, that God would give you a purpose for his life. We've got a lot of young people that came in this church, a lot of children, a lot of teenagers that walked in here this morning, that you should start praying for God's will to be done in your life right now and watch him work. Because he will. God will do that for you, and that's why I love pouring in to, to the next generation of men. love speaking to men now because I know what God's done for me. But there's a there's a misconception Amongst men at times about being a man of God or being led of the Lord to be a representative for God in his church or in his community. And that misconception is, is that a, a real Christian man has reached this higher plane of morality somehow in and of himself to where he doesn't really need the daily graces and mercies of God. That he has just somehow reached this godly level of living that God's help is not anywhere near him and he does it on his own. And that is absolutely insane. It's false. In fact, the opposite is true. It's because I believe the godly man has begun to value so much the grace and mercy of God that it has changed his convictions about how he lives, and he becomes godlier because he is reliant upon God to be for him who he cannot be for himself. And that, that is where we are. And when I think about men going in a, a certain direction who we are to be, who we are to, to aspire to be. Sometimes we think we have to be this perfect person in and of ourselves. So, if you're an imperfect man in here today, today is your day. It's good to see you and welcome in because we're going to be looking at the man Moses because as much as we see him as this biblical hero, Moses is a man under grace, that's been given the call of God and works for His glory underneath the mercies and grace of God. So let's start there with the first takeaway Moses wasn't perfect but Moses was led by the Lord Moses wasn't perfect but he was led by God. Now what preceded our passage for today was God's call towards Moses in chapter 3 God called him by name, God called him by name on holy ground he reminded him that, that he is the covenant God of his people. And his people were created for his glory. And they were to be a blessing to the world. And so God is, is calling to Moses, individual, to stand up to be who he should be. Now, he said to Moses personally in Exodus chapter 3 verse 10. I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people. That's what he said. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Now that's all in chapter 3. God is calling a man to the ministry and when we see that we must think that that man must have been so godly that he had no need to look at anybody else because Moses's light shone so brightly that he must have been the man that was to be the one to take the lead. Well if you keep looking in the scripture and you go back to chapter 2 you'll find where Moses was enraged by an injustice and became so emotional that he killed an Egyptian man because that man was mistreating his fellow Hebrew brother. And the scripture says that he buried him in the sand. Once he killed that Egyptian, he buried him in the sand. And when you do things like that, you're doing it because out of conviction that you're ashamed that you've done that and you feel guilty. And so he buried him in the sand and then he fled to the land of Midian because he was scared that somebody was going to get him back from Egypt. And so the man of God that was been called in chapter 3, been called to the godly service that he would, would carry out for God's people, for God's glory, he ran from consequences in chapter 2 after he had taken the life of another man in chapter 2. So there was guilt and shame in his life, that's what I'm trying to tell you. There was guilt and shame in his life. Men, are you feeling a little bit better by now? And, and that's, it doesn't even stop there because when you get past chapter 2 and then you get to chapter 3 where God calls him, Moses did everything but say yes when God called him. Every time God would say, I'm calling you, he would be like, you got the wrong guy. In fact, five different times he protested and gave God his excuses of why he should choose someone else. Why? God me, why would you allow me to be the one? Choose somebody else. I can't speak for you. Are you starting to feel better? This is why the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is greater than Moses. Because Moses didn't live a sinless life. This is not an encouragement to allow you to stay in your sin. This is not an encouragement for you to... To give license to your excuses and say well just keep on living in sin and keep on making excuses because God will get to you one day or hey you're doing just enough that's just fine that's not what we're saying. What we are saying is that Moses wasn't perfect, but that underneath the grace of God, he was living out the call of God. Because in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we're told about the missteps, we're told about the shame, we're told about the guilt. And then in chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 20, Moses took his wife and his sons, he put them on a donkey, headed back to the land of Egypt, and in his hand he carried the staff of God. Men of God in here today, when are you going to stop living in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and get to chapter 4 of your life? How many of us are still walking in 2 and 3, hoping to get to 4, but we can't get there because we cannot get over ourselves? Cannot get over our shame, cannot get over our guilt. We've been giving God every excuse we can give Him for the last 10 years of our life. God's trying to lead us and our family to His call over our life. But we're just going to stay stuck in 2 and 3. With His sin and excuses in the rear view. And the staff of God in his hand. He yielded to God and made his way to Egypt. He told his family, God's got a call on my life. Y'all get in a truck. We're going. And that's what happened. He took his family to Egypt. Now, and and don't miss this. What he gave him was the staff of God. The staff of God in his hand. Now, if you read through the scripture, what God had given him was a a very simple, common thing, a, a shepherd's staff. But underneath the power of God, it was something seriously strategic for his glory. If you read in the scripture, that shepherd's staff, he throws it down, it becomes a snake. God's going to use that to do a miracle to show them that Moses ain't playing, that he is who he says he is. Now, if it would have been me, I would have hoped God would have chosen something different. Rather than me to throw a staff down and it becomes a snake. If it became a snake, I would have ran from it like a mile away from it. And then he, God has him do the thing where he puts his hand in his cloak and he takes it back out and it's white and it's got disease. He puts it back in it's healed. God does all those things and he's getting him ready for his service. But when he sends him and his family, when he sends them to Egypt, he sends him with the staff of God in his hand. What is it that you have that can be used for the glory of God and the good of man? What is a very common thing that you and I have that can be used strategically for the purposes of God? Do you have a car? Then you can give somebody a ride to church. Have you got a home? Then you can open up that home and show what it means to love your neighbor. Show hospitality. You have money in your pocket, then you can help somebody. Do you have a skill? Are you a communicator? Are you a leader? Are you a servant? Are you an administrator? What is it that God has given you that you can use for his glory and for his purposes? Something very common even that you think would never help anybody else. God can take that common thing and use it for supernatural purposes. It's the truth. I love telling this story. I love giving this illustration of my uncle. My uncle is a handyman and, and has done that all his life. He's a farmer, in fact, and, and doing great at it. And I am everything opposite of that. I, I I mean I can't fix anything. Just my wife's here, she says could say amen to that, but I can't. I can't fix anything at all. And and as we were getting ready to move from our first house over to the East Limestone part of the world as the church and harvest was starting up to be nearer the community, we had to close this other house down before we got to the house and harvest. And to do that there was a long list of things to do and things to accomplish, and I couldn't do any of those things. So I called my uncle and said, Would you please come and help me? He said, I'll be over there tomorrow. He came over. He's on top of the roof. He's fixing shingles. He's underneath our house. He's preparing things that need repairing in order for us to get out of there. And after it was over, I just went to him, and all I could do is just say thank you. I said, I'm so thankful that you came and helped me. I said, I don't know how to repay you. I appreciate it so much. I said, let me buy your lunch or let us do something. And he told me, I'll never forget it. And I'll tell you this again, so just remember. But he said, you can't do what I do, and I can't do what you do. So you do what you do, and I'll do what I do amen and and that's it that's it i'm ta- if i couldn't talk then i'd be worthless <laughs> i really think that sometimes <laughs> and so i'm glad god has given me the opportunity to to voice and to talk but but the tr- it's truth as the body comes together whatever you do if you think it's common it may be but in the hands of a holy all-powerful god god can take the common things of man and make them supernatural for his glory so don't underestimate what God can do through you underneath his grace. The shepherd's staff is just a common possession. God's call to Moses, to godly leadership. Th- think about what he was bringing to the table. This man of shame and guilt and flaws. This man is coming from a, 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 a background, yes, that's going to he- be helpful and God knows that. But but God is going to take this man because he's walking by grace and not knowing all the answers and because he's willing to be led of the Lord. God's going to do a supernatural thing. God's call to his leadership was less about Moses. Do we see that? That's that's what we need. We have such a small view of God. It was less, less about Moses. Moses had all this baggage. God knew who Moses was. But even more so, God knows who he is. So when he's called you and he's called me, he knows exactly what he's doing. This is more about God's grace and his strength than any representative he sees fit to call. And remember Hebrews, while we're taught in Hebrews that Moses is certainly less than Jesus because Moses is not sinless. Moses is less than Jesus and so we get this picture of how high Christ is because he is God and how much lower than that Moses is because he's a man the scripture tells us in Hebrews 3, 5, Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. No, he wasn't perfect, but he finished faithful as he was led by God. Second takeaway, Moses wasn't perfect, but he led his family. Now, I want us to think about that today. Moses wasn't perfect, but he was led by God because he was under God's grace. He left his sin in the rear view. We could spend another Sunday on that, but he's moved forward and letting God lead his life. And now he's not perfect again because we see him in a family context, but he is leading his family. He is leading his family. If we are being perfectly honest, Moses is not the ideal father to do a parenting conference over. (laughs) You don't see a lot of books written about parenting that feature Moses. He's he's not the go-to when you talk about the ideal father in the scripture. If anything, he reminds me that while it may be an overwhelming task to follow God's leading when leading your family the biblical standard is still there regardless of difficulty so this is what I'm saying to you with that you may men you may think that you've got all these things you've got to accomplish outside the house that you you have got to accomplish you've got to be the leader of men and the leader of women outside of that context and then when you get home you're tired and you want to say God I I got all these things to do Lord I mean you've asked me to lead out here you've asked me to lead in the church and now I got to lead at home Can I give you a very plain word, men? Suck it up. (laughs) And here's why. Here's why. Because we want to be that leader now. we When our word is spoken, we want it to be followed. We want to quote scripture talks about how we're number one. We're the lead and you're the follow. We want to do all those things. But then the responsibility of leadership comes from the outside to the inside of the inside of the outside. That's when we start going, God, how can I accomplish all these things? Well, you can't. So you have to rely upon the grace and the mercy and the power and the strength of God in order to do these things. And I would love to write a book and give you a seminar on how that's to be, but I cannot. Because I'm a work in progress just like you, but what I have learned is that I cannot shake my fist at God and complain about the responsibility that he's given me when I want that responsibility. It can't be the two things. So the second takeaway is Moses is not perfect, but he led his family. Again, it's not how to be a perfect father, it's how to be the father under grace. So let's talk about what he did right and what he did wrong. What he did right was to take his family with him when he went on spiritual errands. Are you hearing me? He took his family with him when he did spiritual things. God called him to lead his family to Egypt to free the Hebrew slaves, from the hand of Pharaoh. And so when he did, he took his family with him to accomplish that task. Exodus chapter 4, verse 20 says, Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. And in his hand, he carried the staff of God. And when a family attends a spiritual errand, there's a family experience of ministry there. There's a family experience of the work, the responsibility, the sorrow. The victory. You know, when we lead our families to do ministry things, they get to experience all those things. Some of those things are victorious. We get to see families put back together, people comforted, all those things. But you know what we also get to see? Sometimes it's hard, and it don't work out like we thought, and our kids actually get to see that. That ministry sometimes is messy. And so you know when, when, because we, we know this in Exodus chapter 18... Moses actually for a time, we don't know all the details, Moses sent his family back to his father-in-law. I don't know why he did that. I don't know if it was because it wasn't safe at that time. I'm hoping that it was for the right reason, that there was a threat to his family's safety, maybe in the scope of the mission. And there are times when when it's not the appropriate time to take our kids to do missional things because they're not grown yet. And so they've not matured yet in order for us to take them along with us. Missionaries on the mission field, a lot of times when we want to come from from where we are to where they are, they will send back and say, if you're going to bring your children, they need to be of this age because when they get over here, it's time to go to work. And, And you can't be working on them when it's time to work on the mission. And so there is that balance that you have to determine whether or not they're mature enough to take to what you are doing so that they can experience the good of the mission. There is that. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, our kids need to, to learn to wait their turn, yes. But, but sometimes there are teachable moments when we can teach our children this is what ministry looks like. God has called us into the service, called us into ministry. I'm putting you all on the back of a donkey, and we're going there because that's what God says. So along the way, they get to feel the terrible ride of riding on a donkey all the way, but then they get to see the hand of God move over a people. And free them. And that's what ministry is. So as much as we're teaching our kids to hit a baseball, as I'm reminded myself. As much as we are teaching our kids to to fix a flat, to change the oil. As much as we are teaching our kids to, to learn math and science and reading and all these things. God has given us the opportunity and responsibility when we go on spiritual errands. They're to learn how to do it themselves one day. Are we teaching them to visit the hospital? Are we teaching them to comfort someone who is grieving? Are we teaching them to to confess their sins before God? Are we teaching them to love other people? I would ask you even now as we watch the news and we turn on our favorite stations and our favorite voices. Are we teaching them to listen to the voice of God and work towards unity now? Or are we teaching them to be political for a world that's fading away? What about teaching them to reach across cultural lines? To reach someone with the gospel? And the truth is, is in all that, it's not glorious and perfect. Sometimes it's really just difficult and trying. But they learn. If we desire for our our sons to be mighty men of God, if we desire for our, our daughters to be mighty women of God, yes, we are to pray and put our children before God so that they would hear the voice of God and that they would serve God with their life. But we also have been given the opportunity to make examples of ourselves for them to see what this looks like. We've had opportunities in our life and our young marriage to do this, and, and in those opportunities, we have, have at times told our kids to stay at home because it's not the time, but when we have the opportunity to take them and the leadership's okay with it, that's exactly what we do because we do want to see them, them to see the world. We don't want to hide them from it hide our children from the world, and then when they're 18, they wake up and think, what is this? (laughs) So teachable moments. Think about this with me. Think about when you were a kid, adults. Don't you remember? I remember with my father. I remember my father getting me up on Saturday morning when the men were going to the church, and they were cutting grass and bagging the leaves, and they were doing all these things. They were going to Take in, uh, the, everything in the churchyard and they were gonna make it pretty and everything was turning from spring to summer and fall to winter and all these things and they were doing that and my dad took me along. I remember my dad took me along to men's breakfast and I don't know anything about anything but my dad took me to men's breakfast and we sat there and I heard the word of God and I see men gathered together. I remember when my, my dad got, got me and, and, and took me with him to go see a widower that didn't have any food, and the church had cooked food, and I went with him, and he knocked on the door, and he handed that widower food. I remember these things. Did he teach me how to hit a ball? Yes, he did. Did he teach me how to fish? No, he didn't. We covered that last week. (laughs) But I remember not being old enough to go with him to the hospitals. I remember not being able to, to be old enough to go with him to the funeral home. I remember those things, but as I got older, then I got to go with him, and I saw him look people in the eye, shake their hands, hug their necks, and minister to them. Those were things that he was teaching then that I am learning to do now. And this is what Moses did. The thing that he did right is he said, Y'all get around the donkey We're going to Egypt. God's called me. I don't know all about it, but this is where we're headed. And they experienced it together. Men, sometimes being a spiritual leader is less about teaching and preaching And it's more about following God's leading and throwing your kids up on a donkey and taking them with you. That's what he did right. Now let's talk about what he did wrong. Let's talk about what he did wrong. What he did wrong was overlook his oversight. He overlooked his oversight. If you look back to chapter 4, verses 24 through 26, I remember reading verses 24 through 26. Let's read that again. The Bible says, On the way to Egypt at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, The Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son, and she touched his feet with the foreskin and said, You are a bridegroom of blood to me. And when she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. One of Moses' sons was not circumcised. All right, got it. Before that, God had called Moses. He got his family together, moved them from the home that they knew. On the way, God is dealing with him, and God is about to kill him, the one that he had just called. How do these things fit together? So if you study it, circumcision is a big deal in the Old Testament. And the reason it's a big deal is because it is a a covenant God making a covenant promise to Old Testament Israel. And that covenant with Israel would be with his people. He would be their God. And if you look in Genesis chapter 17, this is how the people would bear the mark of the relationship is circumcision. Well, if that's the case, the guy that's going to lead God's people out of Egypt, one of his sons has not been circumcised. So basically what I'm telling you is, is that Moses' leadership in his home was not in place and his leadership for God's purpose was in place. And so in order for Moses to proclaim the will of God in his life, he had to live it out himself before his family. It was unacceptable for God to say, Hey, God's people, let's do the will of God, when he wasn't saying, Hey, family, we've got to do the will of God in our family. Now, either Moses didn't lead or his wife wouldn't follow And I don't know which it is. We're not told that. Perhaps Moses neglected his responsibility to carry out this requirement with his son. Perhaps it was his fault. In this scenario, Zipporah does what godly women do every day. And they stand in the gap and they fill the place that the man should be taking. And they take care of what needs to be taken care of. Because he fell down on the job. And thank God for godly women that do that. Thank God for godly women that will stand in the gap and they'll wait on their husband to catch up because if you won't do it, I will attitude. Thank God for that. And that's absolutely a a blessing. And in this scenario, she bailed the whole family out. That's what happened. She bailed the whole family out because he was so focused on the task that he forgot to lead his own family. Or perhaps it's a different side of this scenario. Perhaps Moses tried to lead on this procedure and his wife was the holdup. She wasn't going to move. Finally coming through, once she saw that Moses' life was on the line, she finally said, all right, we'll do it, because I guess he's going to kill you. I didn't know it was that serious. (laughs) So Moses has been saying, we've got to do this. And and in that scenario, with Zipporah not being on board, which is possible because of her non-Israelite origin, she may not see all this. She may see the health concerns. She's thinking about her children. She's not thinking about the will of God and all these things. And the wife holds up progress because she's unwilling to let anything move forward without her control. She's unwilling to let anything move forward until she's put her stamp of approval. Basically, in this scenario, she's told God, God, I know he's going to lead your people, but he ain't going to lead me. I mean, that's, that's really what's happening. And I know that that's the case in being in the young ministry life that I have. I've heard that too in ministry counseling. So it's one or the other And within this scenario, it's important to note in the defense of the husband that Moses was being led by God toward the direction that he would have him go. And if God set up the order in the home, when the man turns the corner, give him the room to lead out in obedience to the Lord. However, in the defense of the wife, husbands and fathers, we cannot keep expecting our spouse and our children to gladly follow the lead of their father when the father isn't following the lead of the Lord. The scripture says that the head of woman is man. The Bible says that. That's what's in the scripture. It says that in 1 Corinthians eleven three, just after it says that the head of man is Christ. If we'll do our part, guys, if we'll fulfill our responsibility to seeking Jesus and following Jesus then we'll look back and see a family that's to follow. Now, honestly, I don't know which of these scenarios is the reason why Moses' life and mission was almost snuffed out before it began. I don't know that. But what I do know is that our family units cannot accomplish the work of God when the house is divided. It's the same for any structure being built to honor God. You know what, you know what happens when our, our family, we, we preach on the family a lot. I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now. Through all of this, coronavirus and all these things, a lot of our families are struggling. They, they've had to spend more time together. They're having to answer emotional questions. They're having to think about what they're going to do next, how to make decisions. A lot of our families are struggling. When, our, when my family and your family is divided and we're struggling, we can't help each other. When, when our families are falling apart, the ministries of the church fall apart because the ministries of the church are held up by willing families that serve. So we have to deal with this. Men, in this, if, if you find that this, this is your scenario, you've been letting the wife lead this entire time, you appreciate what she's doing, you know what's in your life, you know you need to deal with it, but it's too painful and I'm not going to let anybody in, then what's going to happen is, is you're going to have an uneven household and we get uneven ministry. And, and it's the same on the other side. If the man's trying to lead and the woman's like, that's great, I'm glad you're trying to lead, but this is where I'm going. Then we're going to get uneven ministry. And the Bible calls for the church to be unified. And that starts in your home. That starts in our homes. Up to this point, we've seen an imperfect husband and an imperfect father lead and live by the amazing grace of God. But Moses is not the only father mentioned in this passage. If you look in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, this is the first time that God has mentioned his father in the Scripture And the Lord phrases his declaration to Pharaoh with familial language on purpose. God is speaking to Pharaoh as a father to a son. And to the Egyptians, Pharaoh is not the only... He's not just a leader. To the Egyptians, Pharaoh was not just a king. To the Egyptians, Pharaoh was God. He was a divinity. A a divine being. when When you are approaching Pharaoh, you're approaching the throne of God. But see, Yahweh knows better because he's the only one up there. So when he talks to Pharaoh, he's talking to him like he's talking to a servant boy in his court. Now think about that and how that would go over in the world. As he is talking to Pharaoh like he's nothing but a servant in the king's castle. As he's approaching him, he sends word to Pharaoh in terms of a father and a son. Look in the scripture, it says there, He says, then you will tell him this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you've refused, I'll now kill your firstborn son. And he's speaking in this familial language because in this culture, when a king declared that someone was his son, respect for the superior rank and authority of the father had to be. So what does that mean? That means when God, through Moses, started speaking to Pharaoh, God was saying, you're messing with my children and when you mess with my children, you're messing with me. Israel are my kids, and I'm their daddy. And I want my kids to worship me. And so I'm telling you now, let them go, or it's going to be bad for you. When the king speaks, you line up with the king, or there's going to be things that come your way by consequences that are not going to be good. Now, I, I want you to hear that from the God, the Pharaoh part. But if we believe Jesus to be King of kings and Lord of lords, it goes back to what we said last week. Jesus says, why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't do what I say? Today on Father's Day, you, might, you may identify with the Moses, the imperfect Moses who desires to be right with God, but who often can't get out of his way. We've all been there, haven't we? We desire, we desire to be God, we want to do things that are right. We want to do big things for you. We want to serve you with our life. But we, for whatever reason, we just can't get out of our way. Why don't you yield? Amen? Yield to the Lord's leading. Turn your life over to God. Why don't you call on God to get right with God and take next steps toward God today? Stop thinking that you can't get to Him. That's why He makes confession. That's why He makes a way for us to be right with Him through the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can confidently go to our Father who wants to take care of His Son. He wants to use you for His glory, wants you to worship Him in freedom. He doesn't want you to skip up in here on Sunday mornings dragging your sin. He wants you to walk in here tall and lead others to do the same. And this happens through faith in Jesus Christ. Turning from yourself and turning to God and walking with God. But maybe it's not Moses that you identify with. Maybe it's Pharaoh. And the king has spoken and you keep trying to be your own king. God continues to speak and you continue to lead. I've been there too. And especially if you're a child of God, God's going to let you know that you're not. Because there's only room for one. So if you do not yield your life and acknowledge God's one and only son, you face the consequences of trying to run your life acting like you're the king. Separation from God forever. We're not talking about just bad parenting in here. We're talking about if you would remain the king of your life, you remain separated from the only one that can help you. Holy God who's given of himself so that we may be right with him and right with everybody else through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. Because in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, God says, This is my dearly loved Son who brings great joy. Listen to Him. Fathers, I would encourage you today, let Father's Day be the day of your turnaround. And if you think, you know what, I've done that before and it hadn't seemed to help, well, maybe you need to let somebody else help you. Take the next steps and let somebody in. Because we say things like this. We say things... Like, well, I can get through this just me and God. You know what that means? It's a cop-out. It means I don't want to let anybody else in. I'm going to handle it on my own. That's what that means. Let somebody else in. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. That simple. That serious. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that guides us. Thank you for your word that teaches us. Lord, I'm so glad that you are willing to Extend grace and mercy. Give us patience. Oh God, I am thankful for how you have taken time with us today to get us from where we are to where we need to be. I pray over the men in this room today. I pray, oh God, that they would simply and seriously turn from themselves and turn to you. Lord, that they would respond. God, that if you're leading them, that they would yield. We pray for our families, Lord. Unify our families so that we may be a unified church. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lori and Josh are here behind me. They're going to give you some closing announcements before we go. Again, 8.30 and 10.30 next week. But if today you need to respond today and you need help to get right today, you can do that in four ways. You can text LLBC to 31996. LLBC to 31996. If you'll text that number. Fill out that form. We'll take it from there. You can also call us tomorrow or email us today or you can catch a pastor at the door and just give him a simple sentence. I need to be saved. I need to join a group. I need to be baptized. I want to join the church. We're here to help you. Amen?